So uh, we're spending more time in the Minor Prophets today. Uh, some of you probably haven't visited, like me, the Minor Prophets as regularly as I ought. Um, and so uh, we're, we're at, back at the, the Minor Prophets, and today we're actually going to be talking about Joel and uh, some information that he has for us. But before I jump in, I want to take you back to last week because I think it's so helpful for us to understand what we're actually doing during the Lenten season. What we're actually doing during the Lenten season. First of all, we're participating with thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of followers of Jesus participating in this season together. This is a reminder that we belong to the Holy Catholic Church comprised of all followers of Jesus wherever they are. And so we, we celebrate our unity. We celebrate the great diversity that exists within the global church. People that look a lot like us and think a lot like us and people that don't look anything like us and think very differently than we do. And so we're following in, in, in pace and on pace with a global group of followers of Jesus practicing, engaging our spiritual disciplines. And so during the season of Lent, we're invited to 40 days of pause, 40 days of reflection that lead to us or lead us to the opportunity of 40 days of transformation. These 40 days are rooted in Jesus' testing in the desert. That is the background that informs us during this Lenten season. I read it to you again, a quote from Ruth Haley Barton when she says this. She says, the observance of the Lenten season is a space in time in which we are called to stop whatever we're doing, no matter how important. And didn't come to me till just now, but I'll say it because it's true. As soon as I said stop, any, you know, stop whatever it is, no matter how important, here's the stopping reason, and it's an old song. Stop in the name of love. That's the reason we stop, and it's not about having heartbroken engagements. It's about heart formational engagements because we pause, we stop in the name of love. We enter intentionally into the disciplines of prayer, self-examination, and repentance. But these disciplines, as significant as they are, are not ends in themselves. They are a means to an end, and that end is that the world would, uh, that we and the world would return to God with all our hearts. So in this series, I remind you that we're inviting you to engage in the spiritual practices that will fuel your hunger and feed your hunger for God. So let me begin as we read together uh, Joel chapter 2, beginning with verse 12, and today's title is Return, and I'm going to unpack that, I hope, uh, during the course of our next several minutes together. 
Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Let me just pause. If you were here last week or you've listened to last week, there's some familiarity. Voice of the prophets of God are calling us to a God who knows us, who loves us, who cares about us, who is compassionate toward us, and who is looking for opportunities to engage us with mercy and forgiveness. Verse 15, blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Again, we're jumping right into the middle of it. So we're going to unpack it as we think about Again, a call to return, which is a second call to repentance. It has a little bit of a different twist on it this morning as to whom is being called to repentance. It was the prophet last week and Nineveh last week. This week, the call of repentance is to the people of God called by his name, set apart for his goodness and his glory. And they were then those people, and we are now those people. This is a call to us to live lives of obedience. Remember, repentance implies a change of course. Repentance is required in an ongoing and necessary way in the heart of all those who follow after God in all those who are hungry for God. Today, Joel says, return. And once again, I'm reminded of the quote from John Wimber. His words orient us again toward a healthy and helpful understanding of repentance. When he says to return to the Lord, I hear John Wimber saying, the way in is the way on. So today I invite you to join me in exploring the call that God has for us today. As we launch, as we launch this sermon today or this conversation, I just want to be really clear. I don't want to bury the lead. Like you don't bury the lead. And here is the lead. God graciously restores when people and communities wholeheartedly return to Him. God graciously restores when people and communities wholeheartedly return to Him.
a question that I have simply is this. What does it mean to return to God? How should we be a people who returns to God? What is required of us? I think the beginning of returning to God launches with simply, we have to be, we must be a people who say yes to Him. A people who say yes to an invitation to turn away from evil and turn toward God. Verses 12 and 13, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. When I think about turning from, I think sometimes our, our, our focus is so much that we think about turning away from evil. And so this isn't just simply a turning away from evil. Because there's only so much you can let go of, right? You, you can let go of a lot of things, but there's only so much you can let go of. And so if we turn from evil and allows us the open hands I talked about last week, we are now available to say yes to God in a new and powerful way by returning to his heart of mercy and compassion and by giving ourselves wholly to him. Another way of saying that we don't just turn from God or, or turn from evil, but that we turn to God is that we want to be people who receive everything that God has for us. Everything that God has for us. Let nothing stand in the way. Nothing small, nothing middle-sized, nothing overwhelming. But in all things, we turn to God. One of the ways I think about turning to God is simply a turning from evil is to live a life that is character characterized by two things two things soft hearts soft hearts equal receptivity when my heart is soft i'm receptive and so the call here is for everyone to participate with their whole heart he says with your whole heart with all of your heart Rend your heart. And then he says, not your garments. Why would he say not your garments? Because we're so superficial. Right? Oh, I'm going to make it look good. I'm going to rend my garments. I'm going to just barely get it. You know, I'm just going to do enough. And he says, no, don't just make an outer show of your repentance. Don't make... People look around and say, oh, man, Alan must really be repenting, right? Sackcloth, ashes, I'm, I am playing the part. And you and I both know that we can play the part with stone-cold hearts. This is the invitation. Don't just make it something that seems to be working in you because of your exterior, but 
open your interior. Ooh, that's dangerous. Like, that's really dangerous. But it's dangerous that has, it's danger that has an incredible opportunity for us to be seen by God, to be known by God, to be loved by God, to be celebrated by God. The call is to have not just an outward appearance of humility and repentance, but that our hearts match our exterior. And so everyone is called to being a practicing, a practicing person of repentance. Practicing, which means knowing that leads to action, that leads to engagement that glorifies God in the world. We become practitioners. You do understand that a soft heart puts us in a place culturally where we look at people with soft hearts and we think sometimes, oh, they're weak people. They're weak people. In the kingdom of God, soft hearts is an exercise of strength. It's an exercise. I love what Kurt says regularly. It's an exercise in appropriate humility. I can't. You can. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, O oh God, and change my heart. Make it true to you. Soft hearts and receptivity is one of the ways our lives are characterized in repentance. It's a letting go, but it's a grabbing hold and being held by who God is calling us to be. The second thing that I just want to point out to you is soft hearts equal receptivity and short lists equal open doors. Short lists equal open doors of opportunity for our engagement with other people. When I talk about short lists, what I'm talking about here is simply a short list of wrongs done, hurts encountered, wounds inflicted, shortcomings, oh, almost got there, slights, put-downs, grievances. All wrongs done and experienced in my life. The short list. Like I want to keep a short list of those things. I know you don't do it, but I, I'm, a, I'm a collector. I'm a collector. It's so easy to collect. Just, just, just pick them up along the way. Somebody says that. Somebody looks that way. Somebody doesn't say that. Somebody doesn't look my way. I'm so easily offended by all of these different things. And when I begin to engage it in that way, I think, oh, man. I could pick a lot of you people because I know you by name and I wouldn't, wouldn't say it. But here's what I know. I'll just say for me, I've done it to you. I've done things that have created space for you to say, I don't think he likes me. My, did he mean that to poke me? 
Do you mean that to correct me? See, these, these places where you and I can have disconnects and we cannot keep long lists of grievances, wounds, shortcomings, slights, put-downs. We can't keep a list of those things in our life because what happens is we use them to protect ourselves and to stiff-arm people away from us when times are troubled. What I can say to you is what I say to myself. I don't know that I can eliminate my list But what I do know is I don't need to be a collector and I need to allow my list to be as short as possible, always holding my list of grievances before the Lord to say, come Lord Jesus, help me now. Let me be released from these things. As we do that, we turn away from evil and turn toward God, and our dependence and our interdependence is appropriately, is appropriately engaged. So, first of all, we say yes to the invitation that God has given to us to turn from evil and turn toward Him. In the question about the text here, so uh, this is it. The invitation, to whom is the invitation? The invitation is extended to everyone. The invitation is extended to everyone. Listen, blow the trumpet in Zion. Uh, if, you love, if you love history, um, trumpet is not like what we think. Uh, simply, the trumpet's a shofar uh, on, 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 the, on the hill, uh, on the high wall. Blow the trumpet in Zion, God's holy place, Zion, that that holy place, Jerusalem. Uh, Declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly. Gather the people, consecrate the assembly. Bring together, just listen to this list, the elders. Gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride, her chamber, Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, spare your people. Spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Note, everyone is invited to participate in returning to God. And just so we're not left to generalities, I want to walk through these specifics. He says, call the congregation. When we look at the congregation, who is it? It's the people of God, a multi-generational gathering of elders, children, and infants. Here at the vineyard, if you just go down that little hallway and look at that little hallway, here's one of the ways we talk about our next generation, and here's the words we use to describe some identification of where they are in the process. And so we say, with regard to that, we look down that hallway, and the language here at the vineyard is, the littles are welcomed, the middles are welcomed, the bigs are welcomed, and when you jump around to the lobby, the students are welcomed. But also included is the bridegroom and the bride. 
Now, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. Why? Why, why would that be the case? Why would you point out the newlyweds, right? Simply because, uh, as Patterson and Hill remind us, that newlyweds would have been ordinarily excluded and not expected to participate in these ceremonies because when you read Deuteronomy 20 and Deuteronomy 24, there's an exemption from service for a year if you're newly married or if you're pledged to be married. And some of you say, man, why did they do away with that? Like, like God says, if you're getting ready to be married, don't send you to war. If you're getting ready to be married, no, don't send you out. If you're, if you're betrothed, don't send you out. So there's this, there's this place, but we're reminded that everybody is included. The newlyweds who are excluded from the battle and any other duty, that what they say, Patterson and Hill say, any other duty that would take him away from his bride, her from her groom. He says, you got to be here because it's that important. And he says, all you professional Christians, all you professional followers of God, priests and ministers, you are included as well. Why is everyone included? I think everyone's included because returning to God invites us to be the people of God, pursuing the purposes of God, living as directional lights. Living as directional lights. What I mean by that is spotlights of the glory of God. We are invited to live as the people of God, reflecting His glory. Gordon Fee says that the people of God, the Israelites, instead of being lighthouses that reflect His glory and show His brightness, they became a house of mirrors and got so interfocused that they lost their purposes. They could only see themselves and no one else. Rather than reflecting God's great love, they absorbed it and just bounced it back and forth in an inward and unhealthy way. The invitation here from God is simply for the people of God to respond to the invitation of God so that when we and as we do, we experience the encounter of God, the one who hears, responds, and restores. The one who hears, who responds, and who restores. Before I read the text, let me just go back and unpack Joel just a tad. Chapter 1 is a reminder of the immediate judgment of God. If you read it, it's all about this swarm, this horde of locusts. It's all about a, a locust swarm that has absolutely devastated the land and the people and the animals. Everything is in shambles. And it says that it's like a fire that's flamed and burning out of control. Nothing in its wake has been left undisturbed and not destroyed. And so when we're talking about the chapter one, he's talking about the immediate thing. It's like you open up your newspaper or your 
daily news feed on your phone and you discover the wildfires that are burning in Southern California or the storm, that the devastation is present here and now and we're feeling the effects of all the devastation. It's immediate. In chapter 2, he jumps to, again, not leaving the analogy of locusts, but he jumps to what commentators say is not the immediate, but the imminent. Right? So we're talking about the kingdom of God. It's imminent pushback. There's this disobedience that our... Have you ever, have you ever thought about it this way? Our disobedience can bring calamity on people more than just ourselves. This is what was happening. Their disobedience was bringing calamity on all the people around them, a whole country. So there's this mandated invitation. You didn't hear me the first time. I'm going to invite you one more time. And here's where we jump in chapter 2. Then the Lord was jealous for his land and took pity on his people. The Lord replied to them, I'm sending you grain, new wine, and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. I will drive the northern horde from you, pushing it into a parched and barren land. Its eastern ranks will, uh, will drown in the Dead Sea, and its western ranks in the Mediterranean Sea, and its stench will go up, its smell, its smell will rise. Surely the Lord has done great things, do not be afraid, land of Judah. Be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. Do not be afraid, you wild animals, for the pastures in the wilderness are becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their riches. Be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for He has given you the autumn rains and because He is faithful he will send abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine. And the locust, the other locust, and the locust swarm. I will repay you for all the years that the locusts have eaten. And my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full. You will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know, then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again will my people be ashamed. So what do we make of all that? Here's what I think. This is a really good place to point us toward the long-suffering faithfulness of God. Hear me. He meets us in the middle of our mess, right? The immediacy, it's not quite gone. It's still present in their minds. The, the devastation surrounding them, it just simply, he meets us in our mess, Chapter 1, because they didn't respond appropriately to the invitation of God to repent and return, only Joel, it seems, appeals to God to meet them and call them in a different direction. And so Joel just simply says, look around you and remember that your recent encounter with the locust 
And because of your disobedience, the land is laid waste. Everyone, everything suffers. And then he says, and oh, by the way, I want you to be reminded that the battle is not over and will not be over until the end of the age. And I want to remind you that God is at work in the world for good. That God says, I will fight for you. That God says, you're never alone. That God says, I will restore all that you need to live well in this world. God delights in working wonders among his people when they return to him with all their hearts. God delights in that. God delights in that. And the phrase again that was used last week is, who knows, perhaps God will turn and relent and leave us a blessing. How is it that we can experience this? How? How can we experience this? I just want to simply invite you to three yeses as a possibility of how we can experience the God who is kind and merciful and loving and caring. Who knows, perhaps the Lord will relent and leave a blessing. Here's the first invitation. If you have not said yes, to following the Lord, to following the one who knows you, who loves you, who welcomes you. If you have not turned from your way and turned toward him, your self-absorption to turn toward him, the question is simply this. Is it possible that he's whispering today? Is it possible that his extending to you is the whisper of invitation that he's at work for your good and for his glory to restore a life of lived well and full of health and vigor? Is it possible that today he's inviting you to say yes and you're ready to say yes? Second thing is maybe, just maybe, you are in the midst of a mess and need to return. Question is, are you willing to turn wholeheartedly toward God? You're in the midst of a mess and you just need to return. The third thing is this simply, are you aware of a need that you desire God to bring you deliverance? Are you willing to just invite prayer for his rescue in and through you today. I want you to stand. This morning on a feed that I um, received from a guy named Scott McKnight, theologian that I follow. Regularly, he posts prayers on Sunday morning, and I opened the prayer for today. And I just think it's so important. 
and so aligned with where we are today. So if you're in any one of the three conditions, you haven't said yes to following God, you're in the midst of you're in the midst of a mess and you want to turn toward God, or if you have an awareness of need that brings you to receive prayer, this prayer covers us. And so I pray this prayer, O oh God, whose glory it is always to have mercy. Be gracious to all who've gone astray from your ways and bring them again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast to the unchangeable truth of your word, Jesus Christ, your Son, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God forever and ever. Amen.